Let's, uh, let's stand in reverence of God's holy word. Today's text is from the 23rd Psalm. And it's a very familiar text we've all heard many, many times before. And it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You can all be seated. Today, we're continuing our series, Summer Psalms, by looking at Psalm 23. This is a psalm that John Stott called the crown of all, of all psalms. And it's a psalm that Steve Farrar once wrote was the most dangerous psalm. Not because there's words in it that'll hurt us, but because it's so familiar to us that sometimes we lose the rich and profound meaning in its words. It's the psalm that almost everyone wants read at their funeral. It's the one that soldiers say before they go into battle. It's the one that we recite before we have surgery. It's the one that people turn to whenever we have tragedy and we need assurance. But what we're going to see is that this great piece of literature, this, this wonderful work of God's Word, provides us more than just a few comforting lines. It's a glimpse of the gospel before the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus long before he was ever born. So today we're going to discuss just the first two verses of this psalm. And our time will be divided into three sections. God our shepherd... God our peace, God our gift. This is a a very, very personal psalm. And unlike other psalms that David wrote, there's no we or us or they in this psalm. He always speaks in the first person. Me, my, I, he, you. Because this psalm itself is an image of David's personal experience with God. Like a child belongs to a father and a father belongs to his children, we belong to God and God belongs to us. We're his and he is ours. So Psalm 23 is largely about how God relates to us. And the first way he relates to us in this psalm is as a good shepherd. The Hebrew word here is Jehovah-Rohi. God is our shepherd. The first verse says it, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Over 200 times in the Bible, God's people are referred to as sheep. Now, when you consider all of the creatures that God created that He could have compared us to, the possibilities are endless. He could have compared us to eagles or lions or bears or, or bulldogs, right? And all those things would have sounded much more complimentary than being called a sheep. Because there's three interesting things about sheep. One is sheep are not very smart. They're not. Frankly, sheep are pretty dumb most of the time. If you go to the circus, 
you'll see trained lions, you'll see trained elephants, you'll see, tra- see trained tigers, horses, monkeys, even chihuahuas. But you'll never see a trained sheep at the circus. And there's a reason for that. The reason is they aren't very trainable because they're just not very smart. Amanda has sheep back there. I think the Roystons have had sheep before, or have you? No? Uh, But I know Amanda is familiar with sheep. You can't teach a sheep to fetch, can you? You can't teach them to roll over and do follow commands and do what you want to do. They'll respond to food, I bet, but they don't respond to much else. They're just not very smart. Now, if you look at, the, at us in, compa- in comparison, how many of you, just being truthfully and being transparent and honest with each other, how many of you would honestly say, I've made a really dumb decision over the past month? All of us, except Morgan. She didn't raise her hand. All of us. Brittany will vouch for you that I've made numerous dumb decisions within the past 24 hours. She'll verify it for you. The bad thing is I'm prone to making the same bad decisions over and over. And we all do it. And we need a shepherd because we all do dumb things sometimes. And Christ fulfills that shepherd role for us. He leads us in areas that we need to go, but we don't necessarily have the common sense to go to. Another interesting thing about sheep is that sheep left to themselves are, are dirty, right, Amanda? They're generally fairly dirty animals. They, uh, my brother next door to us has a barn full of cats, uh, and some of them are really tame, one or two of them, and they'll come running to the girls when the girls go out to, to feed them. But some are just wild. They're just wild, bobtail barn cats. Uh, but even an untamed cat, a feral cat, it will lick itself all day long to stay clean. They want to be clean, but not sheep. Their wool can get matted and muddy, and they pretty much lack any kind of reasonable means for cleaning themselves. So it makes sense that God would refer to us as sheep. Paul echoed Isaiah 64, 6 when he wrote in Romans 3.10 that even our best efforts, all the good deeds and all the money we put in the offering plate and everything we give to the United Way and all the Sunday school attendance pens, all the best things that we can offer to God are filthy rags before the holiness of Christ. None of us is righteous on our own. None of us is clean on our own. We need a shepherd to make us clean. And Christ is that shepherd for us. And finally, sheep are defenseless for the most part. They can't claw you and bite you like a lion when it's provoked. They can't growl like a pit bull and scare off a potential attacker. Even a rabbit has better built-in defense mechanisms than a sheep. At least a rabbit can run fast. But sheep don't have a great defense mechanism. They're defenseless. They aren't considered strong or aggressive. Everybody names their football team after lions and tigers and bears and devils and raiders and bulldogs. But nobody names their football team the sheep. And I know that Jason Luke is sitting here right now with that smart mind of his. And he's thinking, well, what about the rams? And, but rams are not sheep. Rams are not sheep. They're defenseless. God didn't call us rams. He calls us sheep. 
We need a defender, someone who's stronger and wiser and invariably for us, on our side. David wrote in Psalm 28, 7 and 9, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. And in Romans 8, Paul wrote, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who can condemn God's people? Christ Jesus is the one who died and was raised from the dead. And is at the right hand of God interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Paul went on and wrote, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor depth, nor height, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ our Lord. So if you're in Christ, your weakness, your feelings of inadequacy, your difficult marriage, your loneliness, your addiction your anxiety about the future, your regret about the past, your bad choices, the skeletons in your closet, your worries, none of these things, none of these things can separate you from the love of Christ. No one can condemn you if the Good Shepherd defends you. So, our God relates to us as Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd, and he also relates to us as our peace. Jehovah Shalom, God is our peace. Psalm 23 2 says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. When you consider the imagery of green pastures and still waters, you think of a place that's completely safe, completely free of danger, and serene. And filled with peace. But those moments where we experience that kind of peace in this life are few and far between. Peace is sorely lacking in our world today. In 2011, the CDC reported a 400% increase in the number of people who were prescribed medications for depression and anxiety. Back around that time, drug companies began marketing hard to parents of children ages five and under because they projected that was the next big market for antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. Last year in 2016, there was a 25%, or two years, three years ago in 2016, there was a 25% increase in children diagnosed with anxiety in the U.S. We're constantly besieged with pressure and worry and 
and, 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 and contributing to that is this hateful us-against-them mentality that our media promotes and social media promotes. I love and I hate social media. I can use it to keep in touch with friends of mine on the other side of the world, and I can use it to joke around with friends. But at the same time, I also see how hateful people can be to each other about politics and, and, and making little comments about each other and even pictures of each other's kids that can be mean about. We live in a world where there's a major deficit of peace we worry about who's been elected and who did they collude with and who does what and so-and-so on Facebook. And we have all these counterfeit anxieties to go along with the real worries of the world. Things like, do I have enough life insurance? And am I ever going to get to retire? And how the heck am I going to pay this mortgage off? Corey Ten Boom used to say this. She said, worry is an old man with a bended head carrying a load of feathers which he thinks are lead. Now, I struggle with anxiety myself. I'm the guy that wakes up in the middle of the night. I have a 4 a.m. wake-up call almost every morning, and it's me talking to myself, worrying about things that might or might not happen or worrying about something that happened 20 years ago. But, truth, but the truth is that anxiety and worry are thieves. They steal the present moment from us by causing us to fixate on things that haven't or may not even happen in the future. We say things like, God, if I could just hit that Powerball, things would be okay. God, if I could just figure out how to make my husband or my wife happy for one day, everything would be fine. God, if I could just get that job or if I could just get that raise at work, if I could just get that spouse I wanted. We always think there's some magic quick fix that will make life better than what it is. And it seems like we're constantly besieged with worry about this world around us that seems to spin out of control. But our shepherd offers us in the midst of all of this peace in the present. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 28-30, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? God cares about the things that steal your peace. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Psalm fifty fifteen says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. In Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And he shall direct your paths. And Jesus himself said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we're beaten up by worry, 
And we can't see through the mist of the problems, the light that's on the other side. It requires enormous trust and reckless confidence to accept that God has your best interests at heart. That He's a good shepherd. And He's leading you to green pastures and still waters. That He'll never leave you. And that He'll never forsake you. But when Jesus said, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, He assumed that we would get tired. That we would worry. That we would get discouraged and disheartened along the way. And that we would have troubles that we just couldn't overcome on our own. Jesus not only knows what hurts us and worries us and makes us anxious, He completely understands our pain and our worry and our anxiety. And understanding He seeks us out in the midst of these things. His plea to His people is, Come now, wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, and empty, and I'll meet you where you live, and I'll love you where you are, and I'll lead you to green pastures and still water. Jesus, our good shepherd, is our peace in the present. Even when times are hard and life is uncertain. So he offers us peace in the present. And as we go through the trials in life, the good shepherd also offers us peace in eternity. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul writes that we've been justified by faith, he means that we're saved from our sins, not because of the good we do or the bad we don't do, but by trusting in what Christ has done for us. Titus chapter 3 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In order to be approved and accepted by God, to have peace with God, we have to believe that we are justified by our faith in Christ and our faith alone. We have to believe into the idea that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that He is the Son of God, and the salvation He offers us is a completely free gift. The shepherd doesn't lead us to green pastures, then charge us an entry fee. We're not saved by being good people We're not saved by following all the rules to a T, but we are saved by faith, by trusting in God. Salvation is never based on what we do, but instead it's based on trusting in what Jesus has done for us. Roy Gustafson wrote, Religion is the story of what a sinful man tries to do for a holy God. The gospel is the story of what a holy God has done For sinful men. The good shepherd Jesus gives us peace with God. And he gives us peace for eternity. We've been justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.
when Paul writes about this peace, it's important that he understand that we understand he isn't talking about the absence of trouble in life. We live in a fallen and broken world, and there will always be problems until Christ returns. There will always be problems for us to deal with. What Paul is talking about here is specifically peace with God. Once you're justified before God by trusting that the blood of Jesus has paid the price for your sins, God doesn't issue a ceasefire and then get angry at you later over some flaw or some moral failure. Instead, it's a permanent, lasting peace that cannot and will not be broken. R.C. Sproul wrote about this peace in his book, The Gospel of God. He said, When God declares peace, He declares us just, and the war is over, and it is over forever. Never again does God lift up the sword against His children. David, that wrote this psalm, lived in the middle of trouble and worry, and he had danger, it seemed like, almost every day of his adult life. And even younger... At different points in his life, he suffered threats to his life from a giant named Goliath, from King Saul, from his own son, and later from his own army. In Psalm 22, written just before today's text, he desperately wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cried by day and night, but you do not answer me, and I find no rest. I'm surrounded by trouble. My heart is melted like wax inside me. My strength is dried up. I have been laid in the dust of death. And then he writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. When David was the most vulnerable, the most afraid, and he felt like death was literally beating down his door, he looked to God and he wrote, You're my shepherd. You give me everything I need. Beyond all the troubles of this life, I see a possibility that's better than anything I've ever tasted or seen. A place where I can rest and eat and drink and live in safety. A place where I have peace. Ezekiel wrote in chapter 34 of the book of Ezekiel, As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the uninhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. 
They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed. And I myself, this is God speaking, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And then in verse 23, God says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. When God said this, he was directly implying that someone from the line of King David would be given by God to seek, find, rescue, feed, and bring back those sheep who strayed, and bind up the wounded, and give strength to the weak, and lead them to a home where they can lie down and they can rest without any fear. Then he closes his statement in verse 25 of Ezekiel 34. And God says, I will make with them a covenant of peace. A promise of peace. The shepherd that Ezekiel foretold that would rescue us, heal our wounds, and give us peace is Jesus. God is our shepherd, he's our peace, and he's our gift. This good shepherd is Jesus, the ultimate gift from God. And in him there are three gifts we receive, a progression of gifts. We receive the gift of his son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God gave his son a gift. He gave the good shepherd who seeks us and finds us when we're lost in our sins. And he brings us home. And he rescues us from the dangers of hell. And he heals our wounds. And he gives us strength and hope to make it through another day. But the gift giving doesn't stop there. It continues on. Jesus says in John ten eleven, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. And then in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I give it freely. So not only does God give the Son as a gift, but the Son turns around and gives his own life as a gift to all of us sinners. And then finally, we receive the gift of salvation. Through the Son. Romans 3 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Romans 3.23 drives the point home that every one of us, regardless of our race or our gender or our ethnicity or what country we're from, young or old or whatever your disposition may be, we all have a common universal need that binds us together. We have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. No exceptions. None of us meet the standard of holiness that God requires to spend eternity with Him. We all fall short of the mark. And that sounds bleak, but the text goes on and it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. So following the rules and being a good person won't get you in good with God. God is just and He is the justifier. God declares us righteous as a free gift. The text tells us that we are justified by His grace as a gift. There's no price to be paid for it. Remember, a good shepherd doesn't lead the sheep to green pastures and then require an entry fee. So how do you receive this gift? Verse 24 says, Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Greek word that Paul uses for redemption is a complicated word that contains a smaller word, lutron. And this word literally means ransom. There's only one other time that this word is used in the Bible. Mark 10, 45. And it says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave His life as a gift to pay the price for our sins so that we can be saved from our sins. We can enjoy God forever. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. So God gives His Son as a gift. And Jesus gives His life as a gift. And God gives us salvation from our sins as a free gift because of the blood Jesus shed on the cross. And the good news of the Gospel is that God gave us Jesus and Jesus gave His life as a gift on the cross to pay the price for all the sins of all eternity so that we no longer have to fear God but we can enjoy peace with God forever. But the gospel is more than just a religious idea. The gospel, the good news, the best news, the greatest gift that we could ever receive is a person. The gospel is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ.